Waterways World Podcast, brought to you in association with ABC Leisure Group, operators of hire fleets and marinas around the UK. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World Podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, and in this episode, we talk to the magazine's news editor, Andrew Denny. Andrew has been a boat owner for over 20 years now, and for some time he has juggled continuous cruising with living in a cottage beside the Trenton Mersey Canal at Willington. He joined the Waterways World Team in 2010, having already established himself as Britain's foremost waterways blogger under the alias of Granny Buttons. During our conversation, we discuss his pioneering blogging activities, his rather bizarre introduction to boating, and his impressions of the changing nature of our canals and rivers. So, let's take a listen. Andrew, it was fairly late in life that you came to boating, wasn't it? Yes. Gosh, I was 40 years old before I um, even knew the canals existed. I was uh, invited by uh, a relative who'd got a narrowboat to come up and spend a weekend. I'd just ended an unhappy love affair and uh, I thought I'd um, just get away from London for a few days. And this was up in Staffordshire on the Shropshire Union Canal at Norbury. And I went up and joined a boat and suddenly uh, on his family narrowboat, my heart sang. I can't exactly say why. Actually, it wasn't in Norbury Junction I first went there. I joined the boat at Trevor by the Poncathalty Aqueduct. And I arrived, I remember I arrived that night at the boat near midnight after a long drive and was immediately shown into this tiny little cabin and onto a bunk. And I will, so I just fell asleep very quickly. And the next morning, my very first experience was going across the aqueduct. And that was an extraordinary introduction. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that was your, your first experience of boating was crossing the Ponticilti. Yes, that's right. Um, it was just bang, you know, just a, the one of the great experiences of the waterways was my first one. Uh, in a matter of seconds after sort of starting up, I hadn't expected it either. Wow. Um, and I suppose that was... Uh, that was quite a, an introduction. Um, and it was only a short, a couple of days. And at the time, I remember just being a fitness freak. And I just loved the thought that I could nip off the boat and run along the towpath and then nip ahead of the boat and then nip back on. And it all seemed so uh, exotic. I didn't, I didn't even know the canals existed before that. And this was just a, a short while before my 40th birthday. So where did it go from there then? I mean, you obviously had this great holiday experience. Presumably you went back to London and, and then did you start to investigate the waterways then? Yes. What uh, had happened was the the um, the boat was my uh, my brother-in-law's and he had actually bought it. To, he divorced and he had young children down in London and he had actually bought the boat to try to encourage them to come back to the family farm in Staffordshire. And 
the curious thing was they had no interest in it whatsoever, but it had the byproduct, the side effect of turning me onto the waterways. And my 40th birthday, not long afterwards, I came up again to the boat and I just spent it on my own pottering around the boat. It's a, tack, it's a tatty old hire boat from maybe 30 years old at the time. And I just spent the, my 40th birthday pottering around, touching up bits of paint, cleaning the boat and everything. And I can't explain why, but it was just so uh, such a wonderful way to spend my 40th birthday. <laughs> it was love at first sight. And I think looking back on it, it was um, I was probably on the rebound from my failed relationship. Oh, right. And so here's the thing. Days later, not long after that, that was when very, very quickly I'd, I'd suddenly fallen in love with the waterways and I asked for the chance to take it around the four counties ring. If you remember, um, I did a piece about trying to get down the four counties ring in four days and failing. <laughs> and, and that was my first, my first long cruise uh, going around the four counties ring and convinced that I could do it more quickly than I did. But very quickly, I got into all sorts of things like lock wheeling, and I understood the the importance of doing all the paddles in the right order and going through the Harecastle Tunnel. Um, and so... Uh, Was that a beneficial experience then? Because from what I remember from the piece you definitely bit off more than you could chew i think oh yes yes i had did you on... enjoy it do you think it was oh yes it, it was the challenge and i suppose every time i do something like that every time i bite something off more bite off more than i can chew i just want to do it better the next time and thinking well it's possible i can try it again mm. i guess it's also a way of learning quickly though isn't it if you're if you're throwing yourself in the deep end like that, you you really do have to swim. Oh, yes. And I had to do it myself. And very quickly, I learned that I could do things alone. Um, I could be single-handed. I remember my brother-in-law saying, oh, you can't boat on your own. I mean, who's going to do the locks? I found out very quickly I could. I also remember my brother-in-law wanted to take the boat up to York and he's a, a lecturer, was going to lecture at the university for the summer and wanted to use the boat to stay at York University. And he suggested to me that I take the boat out because obviously I was getting on with it so well. Um, and I invited a college friend to help me make sure we did it as quickly as possible. And a college friend brought along his family, um, wife and three children. And from the day they joined... It rained, and it rained every single day, all the time we were there. And the children were screaming, and the wife was shouting at them, and the husband was looking despairing. And I just counted off the days until we got to Lincoln. And they were very nice people, and I still still one of my best friends, I think. But um, I just was waiting until I could have the boat on my own and go back to this sort of sense of liberation and when they left the boat at Lincoln and I took it down the Trent and remember this is still maybe uh, I hadn't done more than two three weeks boating altogether and here I was tackling the tidal Trent and going into Chesterfield Canal um, and I remember the lock keeper there expressing astonishment that I just gone straight into the lock without touching the sides and he said it was the first time he'd seen a boat do that 
And I just thought, well, I have a facility for it. This is West Stockworth Lock. Yes, that's right. And I continued the journey up to York, um, and it rained some more, but uh, by this time, on my own, I really didn't mind. You know? and I've always said that there are three types of boating, bad weather when you're boating, cold, wind, and rain. And if you can have two out of any three, you can still enjoy yourself. And in this particular case, it was windy and it was rainy, but it was warm in summer, so I had a great time. What was it about boating that so appealed to you? I think I realised that I was unlivable with, <laughs> and and I suddenly adopted uh, a wife, which was the canals on the boats, I suppose, that that um, put up with me. <laughs> that's probably, I don't want to overanalyze it, but I suspect that's the case. I just felt happier um, doing it but surely there must have been something about the waterways environment or the speed of travel the scenery that particularly appealed to you well it is calming going through the countryside i think is the special thing i mean the english countryside is was just so charming and it was partly that it was partly the water and it was partly being close to nature i think i mean it is Everything that um, the Canal and River Trust, for example, that line they hand out as about um, being close to nature and, uh, oh, that fastest way to slow down and um, life's better by water. Is, yeah. It's true. By this point, you haven't obviously got your own boat, so I'm interested to know how your journey, what was your journey to becoming a boat owner? So I was living in London and I decided to sell my flat and buy a boat and live afloat, like so many other people. Um, but I got the job up in Norfolk, uh, the same sort of PR job. And when I went up there, I found I was 100 miles from the nearest canal, to be honest. It just so difficult. I still bought the boat, and I still had visions of living afloat and perhaps getting another job somewhere by the canal. And this was before the great explosion of liverboarding in um, London and everyone selling their flats and buying boats. Um, I had the nest egg, and looking back on it, um, it was a very foolish thing to do. But I started to look for the boat, and I realized I wanted it very quickly. And I think I settled on a boat too quickly. I bought a boat, which turned out to be Granny Buttons. What was the boat buying process then? Where did you find it? And well, I I um, I started reading Waterways World and all the everything I could get my hands on at the time um, to to learn about the process. So I learned a lot from magazines, including the gossip, including the history, and so forth. And that just sealed it for me. Um, I just got more and more into it. Although I didn't really meet many people there, it was still very much. Um, uh, it was still very much reading and watching, and I didn't socialise with boaters at this stage. But I remember seeing that Andy Burnett, who used to be technical editor at Waterways World, had started his um, brokerage business, and it was very high quality. And I remember thought, I'll get a boat from this bloke. And I went to, I just followed, got on his mailing list and followed all the boats and very quickly found a boat that just ticked the boxes that the one that it turned out to be granny buttons and had another name of course at the time what was the what was your criteria i think um 
something with a lot of space inside and that was good for living alone because I realized I was going to live alone. And it was a boat built for two, really, a boat built for a married couple. But I thought, um, it, I couldn't explain quite why, but I went over to Fradley Junction where it was moored and stepped aboard and just thought, wow, I had seen other boats. I had done the I traipsed around the various brokerage yards and so forth and gone into uh, boat after boat after boat. And incidentally, I looked for the boat in the winter, deliberately so, because I knew that it, the winter was going to be when it felt most desolate. So I felt that if I found a boat that impressed me in midwinter, then I'd still be happy in the summer. And that was the, mo- the wisest decision, I think. Mm. The early sunsets of winter and the coldness and everything, uh, you could just get a better feel for how the boat was going to be in the depths of winter. It's a bit like the advice we give to liverpool boaters, or rather prospective liverpool boaters who don't have much experience of the waterways. We always say hire a boat in winter and then, you know, you'll see it at its worst and from there you'll be able to decide whether it really is their life for you. Like I said, the the... the the three keys to enjoying boating are the three types of bad weather are cold wind and rain just perm two out of any three and you should be happy so having acquired the boat did you live on it straight away no in fact not for 10 years oh okay (laughs) after all that i was just stuck in this job in norfolk and to be honest it was sort of too secure and i would just leave the boat and i'd just leave the the, the flat in Norfolk on a Friday night and drive over to the boat and sometimes spend most weekends and any free time I had going to the boat. And I Where was the boat? Well, I, continuously cruising. I used to yeah. take it bit by bit. I wanted, deliberately, I wanted to move around from place to place um, and explore the waterways. I didn't really want to be stuck in one place because it would, it would feel like the boat was a a millstone round my neck, and I wanted to keep it moving. Mm. And I did so that for, you know, for 10 years. It was during this time, it was shortly after this, I think, that I saw the internet coming along, and I realized that all these gray suits, as I call them, who who would pay us £600 to, to draft out a single-page press release and send it to the trade magazines, um, they didn't really need what we were doing. Um, if they could do it themselves, I, th- I thought this is going to be very cheap for them to do it. And you can do it by the internet and not have to post out a hundred letters with a press release each week. Um, I thought this, you know, they're going to be able to do it themselves. So I want to understand what this new technology is, this internet. And blogging was the fir- the blogs were the first manifestation of social media. And no one else at the time was doing it on the waterways. And what, I thought, what period of time are we talking about? The early 2000s. I think it was 2002, 2003, possibly. Mm. Um, the internet was still very much, a, a, it had a priesthood of web designers. Ordinary people couldn't just start up their own thing. Blogs were the first time they could do that, really. And I thought, I will get some expertise and understanding in how ordinary people can use the internet, not just web designers. And so um, I looked around for a subject to write about. Actually, 
originally I hadn't intended it to be canals. It's just that I loved the canals. And then I suddenly realized that, you know, you write about the, the standard advice is you write about what you know. So um, I now, by now, just for a, in a year or two or three, I'd started to know a lot about the canal. Yeah. And so I just started writing about that day by day. I would just write short pieces and um, it very quickly for me, it, took off but what surprised me was that hardly anyone was doing it i think i was the first canal blogger and there was a second one a lady called sue on no problem uh, who came along a month after me but for the first year there were i think a total of four or five i remember getting terribly excited when um someone else started blogging and my old girlfriend, Christine, who's not, not the failed relationship, she's a, an even older relationship, and we've stayed friends. And I remember she used to joke to me about how soon is it going to be before you mention your blog to someone? And, mm. and then one day someone actually said to me they'd heard of Granny Buttons, the boat, and the, and the blog. So we should point out that the blog was called Granny Buttons, Granny Buttons. as well. Yeah. And, and they were kind of... Short form pieces with a you know eight hundred words a, a page or so with images. That's right. I mean, it's really well. It's really like uh, uh, the news format in Waterways World. I mean, it's the uh, it, it's a you, typically you'd write fifty, hundred, two hundred words, three hundred words sometimes. Um, was it was it all about your own experiences or were you no uh, to begin with it was a kind of cruising log but I very yeah. quickly realized that that was getting a bit boring um, I, I mean you know you don't want to you just don't want to read that someone else has set off at 9 a.m and they filled up with water and they filled up with diesel and they had a problem with a lock and all this sort of stuff and I started to look about other stories to write about that's all and just chatty but um in a magazine style and it seemed proved very popular yes uh, well because i was the only one or there's only three or four of us and i was the only one really doing it in a magazine style and talking not just about what was happening to me but more generally i would find stories to write about i, I would tell a tale of for example when going through hair castle tunnel i would look up and find the history of kit crew bucket and talk a bit about that it just became a sort of online magazine and it grew and grew and i remember after about a year saying that i was very excited with five people blogging five blogs <laughs> and at the time all the internet action about the canals was on um the forums and the the news groups uh, mm. it was really um it was really sort of email style and I just found that a bit dull, really. And, it's, it's, and, and also, it was just so ping-pong. It was someone would say something, and then very quickly someone would come back with a smart-ass comment, and it, it, it told no story. Yeah. And it's the story I wanted to write. That's why I kept going there. And I remember saying to them, um, blogs are where it's at, to the people online. But as I say, the first year took five blogs, and then I think 10 or 15 following year it started to get off about after about four or five years it really started to become a torrent but that's when facebook and um, other social media started to take over anyway i kept up um, with my blogs and um, it 
remained, I think, the most widely read of the blogs, but it started to get sidelined by social media in general. Well, that brings me to my next question. Has blogging been superseded by social media and video logging? Certainly it has now. I mean, video has become the thing, but it's all been so much easier to integrate um, video and pictures and words seamlessly to the extent that uh, things like Instagram and Facebook really become, um, uh, yeah, it was just so easy to post stuff up now. I mean, there's still the room for words. But I remember I was getting fed up around this time, around 2008, 2009. I was getting fed up with Norfolk and the fact that all the money I should have been putting aside into a pension was going into my boating. I suppose you could call it my apprenticeship, uh, the money I spend on boating. Um, but I realized I had to get out of Norfolk because I was driving three, 400 miles a week on my boating. And it, it was just very, very expensive anyway. And I took the plunge and decided I'd go freelance and um, thought I'd um, get what little money I had left I would put into a house um, in the Midlands, in the middle of the narrow canal network. Right. And it was another guy, another blogger actually, who pointed out that he'd seen a house for sale near Burton-on-Trent um, that was right next, you could see it from the canal, and it was right next door to this brand new marina being built. Monsieur. And I thought that's very convenient to have a house right next door to a marina and right in the center of a, of a very important you know, area. And actually, I went to see it, and houses are very cheap around here, and I saw it and fell in love with it, and I thought it was just right for me. Um, not very big, but a lot bigger than a boat. And I bought it, and uh, I thought that's going to be my land base and the, you know where I grow old gracefully. So you actually I, specifically chose that house because it was kind of in the uh, it's at Willington, Trent, Eastern Trenton, Mersey, and it's at the centre of the, the network. It's not quite the centre of the well, network. Well, it's, it's very... It's, what is very interesting is it's it's on the it's on the it's on the the edge of the narrow canal network and the wide canal network and it's only a yeah. half a day sailing to a, the big river trend and all that sort of thing. But it's also it was also convenient that it was near facilities that I needed, boatyards and uh, chandleries and moorings and things like that. I didn't mm. want to to leave my boat here, but I I spent uh, eighteen months trying to. Um, be freelance and I realized I'm hopeless at it uh, hopeless at um, asking for money hope, asking from people uh, asking um, we're doing commissions and so forth and being freelance was just not my thing uh, that's when um, I would be in touch regularly with Richard Fairhurst your predecessor I mean I got to know him fairly well online and um, one day um, he just asked me um, uh, he said, we need, we've, our old news editor is leaving. Oh, you seem to spend the last few years writing news about the canals. Do, would you be interested in joining Waterways World? And I said, well, yes, I, I like to, you know, it was a way of doing what I loved best, which was writing about the waterways. And uh, so I, yes, I took up the, uh, I went for an interview and I took up the offer because they, they thought I'd do the job. And um, that was in 2010, was it not? That was in 2010, yes. Yeah, I remember yeah. you joining. Yes. <laughs> I was on a different magazine at the time, but That's I do remember right. you. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it was a way of being, uh, you know, you could say Mr. Canal News or something, and it was a sort of privilege. It was very, um, it was an honor to join and take on that sort of role. And um, instead of being a, a poacher, I became a gamekeeper, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, did that kind of curtail your blogging activities? Well, to begin with, Um, I kept up blogging, but I realized that I couldn't in conscience, it was never very good to deadlines, and I realized in conscience I couldn't do it while I still had a job to do um, to meet deadlines. And so so suddenly in 2012, I stopped, and I stopped without telling anyone what happened, all with with the idea that, well, I'll get on top of this now, and I'll, um, uh, once I'm, uh, <laughs> meeting deadlines better, I will um, uh, start blogging again or I'll start doing something else, getting involved with video. But it never really happened because it was ris- It was nice seeing my words in print every month and um, it became very, very secure. Um, it felt that way. Um, and, you know, joining and joining with Waterways World, it just, it just felt like um, I was at the centre of the universe, the Canal universe. One thing I think it's worth pointing out, Andrew, is although you bought a house near Mercia Marina and took up a nine-to-five job at Waterways World, you've never been rooted into that locality. You've continued to spend a lot of time on your boat. I kept on boating all over, weekend by weekend, and very rarely did I stay in one place um, more than um, very... I mean, I tried to keep squeaky clean about continuous cruising rules and i did go all over the country i've been down to london three times in 15 years i think um and i have been all over the country um and i have done i've been i've done most of the the waterways network i have done the bristol to sharpness seven route and i've crossed the wash um and i've just been pretty much everywhere except I think I haven't been to the Lancaster Canal and I haven't done the Liverpool link. I remember getting there to do Liverpool and then there was a breach and I was stuck and I couldn't reach the new Liverpool link, which was very frustrating. But I think I've done pretty much everything else. You've travelled so far and wide. You must have some favourite waterways or favourite experiences. I think, to be honest, it, it does sound boring to say it, but I really like the centre of Birmingham, mainly because it is so dense, that it's so labyrinthine, there's so much to cover in such a short area, and there's so much ghostly history, the um, the dereliction I like. And mm-hmm. yes, it, the Midlands, the narrow canals, which are very human scale, and they're very amenable to single-handed boating, which is what I love best, I think. What about canals that you don't like? Is there anywhere that you wouldn't be too keen to revisit? 
It's hard to say. I don't actually like rivers so much. If there's somewhere that um, you're going down the Trent, for example, or up the big wooded valleys of the Thames, and there's nowhere to stop, um, and the charm of the narrow canals especially, but more than, is that you can stop almost anywhere and talk to people. And this is the paradox that I really like single-handed boating and getting it away from it all, but at the end of the day, I did feel a bit lonely about it um, and wanted to be somewhere where I could chat with people. Mm. And, um, that, and the narrow canals give you that opportunity more than, than the yes, river. Yes, the you... narrow canals hardly ever flood and they you can stop almost anywhere, uh, you, anywhere there's piling, um, uh, you know, providing you're not mooring up in some on uh, a winding hole or doing something silly. You're, you can stop almost anywhere, and there's usually a pub within walking distance where you're, after a single-handed boating all day, you can go and soak up the, um, the social atmosphere of a pub, or you could before COVID. But also it... I was seeing stories all the time and photographs. I would photograph pretty much everything, anything odd. I would try and make a story out of initially for my own uh, blog and then later for Waterways World. I'd find things that were quirky and interesting and just try to make them more interesting and draw attention to them. I realized that um, video vlogging, has radically changed it and what's more vlogging became a profit center because you could do your little pieces surrounded by ads and someone else would sort out the billing and it wasn't i was offered people wanted to place advertisements on granny buttons the blog and i i refused because it meant billing and it became becoming a business and i i meant um asking them for money and all this sort of stuff whereas when you're going to social media, um, vlogs and so forth, you you automatically get commission and you don't have to worry about that side of things. Um, grandfather Google is looking after it. So so I, I never turned Granny Buttons into a business as I'd hoped to do originally. Um, but I can see that some people now make an, a fair bit of money out of just doing video. And I don't think I have the patience now, besides which I have uh, duties to the magazine to to think about so um i've never done video um and that is is a sort of disappointment but i suppose i still think of words and pictures still pictures we should point out that you're a very experienced photographer and you actually studied photography well i i trained as a photographer originally i mean i was going to be a photographer in the 70s i went to art college and it was a sort of passion for still images but I drifted out of photography because it was just so much work to get an image to print stage. And, of course, you didn't have it online in those days. Um, and film was just so slow. And I didn't like the smell of chemicals or the dark rooms. So I drifted out of it. And it wasn't really until um, around the time I started blogging that digital became major. And I it just completely changed photography now is just so easy to do to, to the astonishing quality you can get that ordinary people can get with digital is is quite extraordinary i don't think that younger people now realize how easy and how good it is to create good photographs compared to how it used to be but at the same time um you still have to have an, a sense of a picture 
or a script if you're doing video. And this is one thing, incidentally, that I've got against vlogs, all these current vlogs, is that they're just people chatting to camera without a script and without any editing. Mm. Uh, the only editing is video editing, but there's no script editing. There's no story they're telling. They're just... Um, they're very rarely are they researching things. They're just recording what happened to them. And I do find that at times a little dull, that um, there is no script. And people are, people are making these videos to appeal to other people who've never seen boats before. Um, and it's all very lowest common denominator stuff. And, of course, as you get more and do more and more boating, you become more experienced. And so these videos inevitably don't seem that interesting a lot of them there are there are a few exceptions to, to the oh there are some that, people yeah. um, there are some people who manage to do it yes there's um i think the quality of your blogs and your work for waterways world is your innate curiosity and ability to delve into mm-hmm. subject matter actually i've just recalled um one blog you wrote about the discovery of two little tombstones beside the towpath what are the graves of terrapins? <laughs> Hang on, was that the actually the rats? I oh, was it rats? Tixel wide, yes. I still got this photograph of this um, this homemade um, gravestone, wooden wooden gravestone. It was painted and it was decorated, yeah. and it just said, "In memory of Anton Deck, our pet rats. We loved them loads." And clearly, there were two pet rats yeah. buried under the tree. Yeah. Um, Yes, that little things like that you come across. Um, yeah, little points of interest. There's yes. also, uh, it's quite famous in the Waterways World Office, is there's a photo you took of a dog defecating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What was that about? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I just saw a, I just saw a, a woman walking a, a dog along the Grand Union Canal towpath and the dog stopped and did these, did this, did its business. And you could see this log coming out of it. And I photographed that. But what astonished me was the woman at the other, other end of the photograph turning back casually staring at the dog. And when it had done its business and started trotting dutifully back towards her. She just ignored it. Oh, I do hate that. And, and so yeah. I did a whole piece about it. And no, right, right on. It, yeah. was, it was an example of um, what's now called, a, oh, I don't know, a pile on social media or something that, um, you know. Well, did, it get, did it get a reaction? Did it get a strong reaction online? I think, uh, to be honest, I thought most people would say we uh, feel it was yeah, utterly disgraceful. And a lot of them... Uh, criticized me more criticized me for for photographing the actual process where the yeah. dog was depositing its dirt <laughs> just, they, just because they're probably eating their cornflakes yeah it wasn't it isn't the most it's not the best image <laughs> you've ever taken but now um, of course you get social media twitter and so forth and um, facebook all the time being uh, uh doing pylons as they call it try, seeing something they don't approve of and trying to encourage people to get angry and i, yeah. I think i've grown out of that a bit myself now so andrew you've been at waterways world for 10 years now what changes have you seen on the canals and rivers during that period they have become a bit more manicured. I mean, I see an awful lot of people saying that, oh, they're, they're dre- in a dreadful state. And I have to be careful and say, I don't want to just parrot the official party line of CRT. But mm. 
um, I, c- I don't see... Uh, I, I know I've been on the canals for over 20 years, and I am well over 20 years pre... I've had my boat for 20 years, and well over that for actual boating itself. And I haven't... I, I, I just get the feeling that the waterways are still in very good condition. And I will... Um, I'll, I know I'll get laughed at by some of the old hands who remember them from 50 years ago and say, you, you don't know what it was like, proper dredging. And I, th- I can't believe it. I mean, it just does seem to me that, um, that the authorities are, are making a fairly good job of it, considering the resources they've got. Um, of course, in the 1990s, when I came along the boat, there was this explosion of restoration, a lot of money being splashed around to restore the canals as you saw with the Rochdale and the Huddersfield. And, and the, actually, those particular ones are probably a bad example because they, they are slipping back because they've got no, no boats on them, mm. uh, many. Mm. Um, but um, generally speaking, with, the, with more and more boats coming on um, to the mainstream canals, the Grand Union, the BCN, and so forth, I think... I will be laughed at saying they're they're in good shape. Then I suppose they're not. But I can't believe that the thirty years ago they were in much better shape. I I ought to stand up more for saying that um, generally speaking they are being recognised as as a resource. As I say, when I first encountered the canals thirty years ago, nearly, I didn't know that um, they existed. I think now most people are. I mean, the world is the the the, the, the television is full of programs about um you know million pound barges and um yeah so you think they've entered the mainstream consciousness if you like reality tv has got a lot to do with it and there's been an awful lot of that and i think people are aware much more than they used to be of the of the british inland waterways Mm. and one thing to remember is that the uh, i think the british especially the english and and the welsh waterways are very, very distinctive worldwide. There's nothing quite like them. Mm. The boats and the, the structures are really odd. You, you, go, uh, you go across the rest of the world, and they're nothing like the English canals. And they have their own distinctive characteristic, but the English ones are very, very odd. And, um, and I think that's part of their charm. Yeah. The, but, of course, you, you do get people like our own... Uh, Deputy Editor Sarah Henshaw, who have fallen in love with the French waterways and so many other people as well. And um, I, I feel homesick when I go on the French canals. Uh, I just, I'm a hothouse flower. I've found my niche now. You know, I can't really go beyond them. So I'm, I'm, I'll wilt if I step outside the greenhouse of the English canals. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've found my little... Um, furrow and I'm ploughing it and I'm happy with it. Well good for you Andrew Um, well Andrew thank you so much for your time today, it's been brilliant talking to you and um, yeah thank you very much chap I would love to have a script doing these things because you know I would love to maybe read something about all the things I've spoken to you about just now Um, well you know you could um, (laughs) you you should should get vlogging (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's an idea. I never thought of that. T- ten years uh, it's been since I no, it's, it's well, it's ten years next year, and uh, every year I've been seeing.
For over 45 years, the ABC Leisure Group has been at the forefront of the waterways leisure industry. With 15 strategically placed marinas around the UK, it has hundreds of moorings with modern facilities and a range of benefits. ABC also runs a successful and competitive boat brokerage business. Visit abcboatsales.com as well as over 200 luxury hire boats and day boats. Visit abcboathire.com Furthermore, it offers a range of land-based holiday accommodation, including waterside holiday cottages and caravan parks. Visit abcholidaycottages.com